Good morning, everyone. Welcome um, to Great Commission Community Church. It's so good to see all of you who are here in the room with us, and welcome to those of you who are online and streaming this. Um, this is the first Sunday of the Christian season called Lent. During Lent, we focus on identifying with Christ's death, which is on Good Friday, or we celebrate on Good Friday, um, as well as his resurrection, which makes us new. There are things in our life that are not aligned to Christ, both us as individuals and us as a collective community and society, um, whether it's certain priorities, um, certain things that we love that we shouldn't, certain things that we hate, certain habits or patterns. So during Lent, we focus on letting those things die. Christ died and rose, and he calls us to let those parts of our life die as well um, and to let new parts live individually and also as a community. So let's turn to Christ as a community now. Let's get stirred up by his calling. Let's look to his Holy Spirit to remove those old things and give us new and better things. Let's be strengthened by the Spirit who is so close to us and is indeed among us. I wanna read a verse from the letter to Titus and then pray. Titus says, God saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Heavenly Father, um, we know you are here with us. Your spirit is with us. God, make us new just as you love to do. Make us new again. Please pour out your strength Pour out on us your love and hope. Fill us with the power of the death and life of Christ. Pour on us your Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, and we love you. Amen. Um, if you're able, please stand as we sing. Way 
welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Sing, hear the sound. Hear the sound of hearts returning to you. Return to All our fears are washed away, are washed away. Hosanna, Hosanna, you are the God who saves us. We welcome you here. Hosanna, Hosanna, come at your way. While you're doing that, you want to just say hi to your neighbors. Man, it feels so good to be back in person. I've been away uh, just doing church virtually for the past couple of months, but being here and in, in just worshiping the Lord together is just so, so good. So, so good. As we worship through this next song, telling the story of Jesus Christ, uh, my, my prayer for myself, for us, Lord, reminds me, reminds me of the cost, the cost that Jesus paid for us. The cost that uh, the Father's broken heart to sacrifice his only son for us. We're going through this season of Lent. Be reminded of that.
such is treasure How great the pain of searing loss The Father turns His face away And dies wounds which mar the chosen sons to glory Behold the man upon the cross Behold the man upon the cross My sin upon his shoulder Ashamed I hear my mocking Among the stars, and it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has bought me life. I know that it is.
saved us from so many things as we sang about um, our sin, the lies that we live with and in, our brokenness. And he has saved us in a way that's real, even if it's just partial for now, um, but it will be complete when he returns again and makes everything new. While we wait, Christ gives us a taste of his salvation and gives us strength. This is what Isaiah 30 verse 15 says about our life with Christ, who loved us and died for us. Isaiah, this is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength. So church, we're going to pray together. Um, I'm going to say some prayers, and um, at the end of each one, I'm going to say, in repentance and rest is our salvation. And after that, if you could respond by saying, in quietness and trust is our strength. So let's actually try it before we pray. In repentance and rest is our salvation. give us a constant invitation to come to you, to return to you. And you've told us that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. We come to you. We receive grace from you, compassion from you, and steadfast love. We remember together Christ's death and his resurrection for us. You did that for us to bring us into life with himself. In repentance and rest is our salvation. Trust is our strength. God, there's no home like the one we find in you and no life like the life we know that you give. We confess together that even when we know this, we stay attached to things you call us to leave. We try to find strength from habits that we know are destructive to ourselves and, and to others. We try to feel a sense of belonging and comfort from things that ultimately lead us away from you. Forgive us for that, God. Please pour out your grace and compassion. In repentance and rest is our salvation. God, we rest in your steadfast love. We don't rely ultimately on our own merits or efforts. We don't rely ultimately on our resumes 
for our accomplishments, our abilities, our knowledge, or even our religiousness. We rely on your always steadfast love for strength and salvation. In repentance and rest is our salvation. God, with quietness and trust, we pray for those who need strength and salvation. God, we pray for people in Ukraine. We pray for their lives, for an end to war, for comfort to those who have family and friends and homes there. God, please be a savior to them. With quietness and trust, we pray for the widow and the orphan and the stranger in our city, in our neighborhoods, and in places far from here, in Ukraine, in Syria, in Ethiopia, in Cambodia, and so many places. God, please feed the hungry. Please shelter the defenseless. Please speak for those who need an advocate. Please give your good news to the poor. Empowered by your word and your spirit, please let us imitate you in these things and let our community with you give refuge also to the widow and orphan and stranger. God, with quietness and trust, we pray for just tastes of your beautiful kingdom here while we wait for Christ's return. We um, pray for our partners, Little Lights, that they may taste your kingdom in D.C., and Casa Chiralagua, that they may taste your kingdom in Orlandria. Let us taste some of your kingdom in our own jobs, in our work, at our schools and hospitals, in our advocacy, in our legal work, in our counseling, in our relationships, and so many things that we do all week. May we taste your kingdom in our families, among our friends, among our work circles. Let us taste your kingdom of righteousness, of healing, of justice, and worship of Christ. In repentance and rest is our salvation. Church, please take a moment in quietness and trust to turn to God with your own concerns, your words. for us. God, we welcome you here. Thank you. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. Um, please take a moment to pass the peace of Christ, the peace that we have received through his sacrifice to each other or online in the chat, um, and peace to you all, church.
All right, church, um, it's so good to see so many people connecting and uh, greeting and maybe reconnecting. Um, I hope that you stick around after church to continue doing that and online. Um, again, we welcome you to uh, share in the chat and say hello and also connect virtually. Um, so I just want to share a few things about our community and community life and things that are going on. The first thing is just if you are new or if this is one of your first times at Great Commission Community Church, we welcome you. We hope that you will reach out to us and let us know that you're here. And that's also if you are online for the first time, um, you can send an email to us and just let us know that you're here and we'd love to connect um, with you and get to know you a little bit better. Um, so yeah, please let us know that you're here. Our second announcement is that we have baptism coming up. Um, I think it's been a while because of COVID, so we're so excited to be able to have baptism and that's going to be in mid-May. For those who are interested in getting baptized, there's a class called Preparing for Baptism, logically, um, and it starts in April. So baptism, um, if you're maybe not entirely familiar, is the church's main symbol of our new life together in Christ that we just talked about and prayed about. Um, it's about becoming committed to Christ, his community, and his cause. Um, so if you haven't been baptized, but you do identify as someone um, who follows Christ and has a life with Christ, we would love to see you get baptized, and you could do that this May. Um, so you can go to our website. You can find out a little more information. You can sign up for the class there. You can also talk to Pastor Carl, who's right over there, if you have any questions about baptism. So I encourage you to look into that. Um, and then we have another uh, class, I guess you could call, that's starting in April, and it's called uh, Be the Bridge. And so some of you might remember Pastor... Perrin from the Triumphant Church, which is a predominantly black church in PG County. Uh, we did a couple different sessions and seminars with their church, um, some Zoom calls um, and some conversations about um, kind of Christianity and race and uh, we prayed together. Um, and we also kind of helped them understand some of the Asian American experience as well. And so along with Triumphant Church and then a third church called um, Grace Capital City, which is a predominantly white church in D.C., uh, the three churches together are going to be co-hosting this class called Be the Bridge. Um, they'll meet once a month for nine months, and that starts in April. Um, so again, you can go to our website, find out more information, and if you'd like to um, join, please do that there. I'm so excited about that. Um, I'm going to hand it over to Pastor Jonathan to share a little bit about our Cambodia um, missions. Uh, good morning. I'm uh, the youth and missions pastor here. Uh, hopefully, if you're here the last couple weeks, uh, you had a chance to connect with our partners, uh, the Manfreds, who are here. Uh, just a great time. I know some of you had them in small groups. Others you might have seen online on our virtual service when uh, Dave was speaking. Uh, we just want to let you know that we actually have a missions trip coming up this summer. Uh, because of COVID, things are a little bit more in flux than they used to be. So uh, that is there. But if you are interested in going, we're actually going to bring like a spiritual retreat uh, for the whole team that's there. It's about 30 different um, workers who are there. Uh, Pastor Steve will be leading the trip. He's going to be preaching. We need some people who are interested in ministering to the uh, like our, our partner's kids and their youth, and also to lead worship. So if any of that sounds exciting, we'll actually be there. We'll have a chance to see kind of where this new medical project that Dave was talking about in Stung Treng with so many uh, opportunities, have a chance to see that. But, it, but primarily, we're going to 
to kind of bring a spiritual retreat and refreshing for our workers there. So if you're interested in that, uh, please, you can talk to me, uh, and I'd love to answer questions. If you're just like, yeah, I'm in, uh, there's actually an application online that you can fill out, and the deadline will be the end of this month. Uh, So it's coming up pretty quick because we have to put the team together in order to go. Um, So again, I'm here today. If you have any questions, please uh, talk to me. I'd love to talk to him about what's happening. Thank you, Pastor Jonathan. Um, The last update I wanted to share was that um, last week we shared with you all about CAMA, which is our denomination's sort of uh, relief arm. Um, Through the alliance, they go into places that need help. Um, And so there is a ministry that is in Ukraine right now, and they're bringing um, relief to people who are affected by war and disaster. And uh, the church um, agreed to or, or decided to um, donate $10,000 to CAMA. Um, and so that was approved. And uh, we also invite you, if you feel led, to um, donate on your own to CAMA. And you can do that through um, the church, or you can I think, do that separately through CAMA. Um, so we continue, obviously, to pray for those people and um, hopefully the, pray for the ministry to be able to, to bring relief to those people. Um, so before we... Um, have Pastor Carl come up. Um, I'd like to pray for our offering. We have obviously our sort of regular offering as well as uh, the offering that we are giving to Kama. So um, please pray with me. God, we thank you for um, all of our blessings, all the blessings you bestow on us more than we um, deserve. We thank you for blessing us with grace and love and community with each other. Um, thank you for blessing this church with financial resources and abundance. We pray that you would um, help us to wisely use these resources to bless others and that uh, those near and far would be able to learn about you and experience your amazing grace and your amazing love. Um, God, we also uh, lift up the Manfreds and all those who are working in Cambodia. We pray you would be ahead of the summer trip, um, that your hand would already be at work in preparing those people who will go and those people in Cambodia who will be uh, impacted. We also lift up the Be the Bridge class that you would bring healing, reconciliation, and justice through this collaboration and that people would, um, I guess, just more genuinely experience uh, what you want for us as people. Um, And lastly, we lift up those who are considering getting baptized. We thank you for stirring, um, for stirring in their hearts and Um, We pray that your spirit would embolden them and reassure them as they consider taking this next step in their faith and their relationship with you. Um, Thank you, God, for all of your blessings, and um, we lift all this in your name. Amen. All right. Hello, everybody. Um, Before we dig into the scripture, just want to say a little bit more about the season of Len, and actually I'm going to let Pastor Steve do that through video, so we'll see him here uh, right now. He's going to be talking about Len as well as specifically about um, our Tuesday prayer meetings uh, that we always have at 8 o'clock by Zoom, but um, specifically during the season of Lent. So let's listen. Hey, church. Um, starting today, we're entering into the season of Lent. Uh, Lent is a season when Christians become more, more intentional about their, their walk with God, 
uh, we, we typically do this by focusing on the cross, especially uh, Jesus' suffering and Jesus' death uh, on our behalf. And, and we want to participate in his, in his death by partly putting to death uh, things that in our life that are not aligned with what God has for us. And we do this by meditating on God's word. We, we do this by, by times of prayer and even fasting, fasting from um, food and other good things in life to remind us that we have died with Christ and we want to continue to die with Christ and put to death things that are, again, not, not aligned with him. Uh, I want to invite all of us uh, during this season to, to join us uh, on Tuesdays as we pray together. Uh, you, might, you might not have maybe time to, come, to make it out every Tuesday, but consider joining once or twice or three times during the season. We want to enter and celebrate and, and experience God's grace and, and what he has for us together as church community. It will, it will be a great way for us to do this together. On Tuesdays, I am hoping that we'll have some music, some worship, we'll meditate on a psalm together that, that's connected to the sermon that was preached on, on that Sunday. It will be time for us to, again, meditate and pray and really experience God's grace for us and focus on the cross together. So I want to encourage us to participate in our Tuesday Zoom prayer times during the season. We'll start this Tuesday at 8 p.m. I think it will be an hour well spent. Um, it will enrich our just heart and devotion for him during this season. And I, I look forward to seeing you then. Okay. Um, yeah, we'll look forward to seeing you on Tuesday. All right. Well, like uh, Pastor Steve said, we're um, starting in the season of Lent. And um, Lent is associated, uh, like Steve said, with um, the death of Christ and sufferings of Christ especially. And um, it's also associated with preparation for baptism. So we're doing a little different this year because um, instead of baptizing people on Easter, which is the end of Lent, we're baptizing people um, like a month after Easter. And so our preparing for baptism, for those of you who are thinking about doing that class, um, that's going to start like a little before Easter. But traditionally, uh, Lent is really associated with baptism um, because um, just conceptually, it really fits well because during Lent, we're focused on putting aside old ways. And, you know, baptism is a picture of... Um, of actually death and resurrection. That's what the Bible teaches. So um, I don't know if you've seen a baptism or when you experience baptism yourself, um, you know that the person goes into the water and that water isn't just representative of like cleansing or something like that. It's not like a huge bath. That's not the picture actually. The Bible's picture is that water is death and you go and you're like buried. You're, you're dying with Christ. And then, um, you know, after a, a quick moment, you know, make sure you really feel that, and then uh, we bring you back up, and we say you're raised to life in Christ, and we're new, you know, um, and that's a picture of baptism, and um, during Lent, we're going through this series that relates to putting aside kind of our old ways, remembering the things uh, that we have died to, and being intentional about putting them aside, and sometimes that means like a particular habit or a particular feature of our life. But uh, during this season of Lent on Sundays and also on Tuesdays, as Steve was saying, we're going to be talking about lies that we live with, okay? Um, lies that we believe, but lies that we've just come to live with, 
And today, specifically, um, we're talking about this lie that says, I belong only to me. And we'll flesh that out. But the idea is, I belong only to me. And that's something I think all of us uh, buy into to some degree, you know, maybe to a very large degree. I belong to only me. Okay. So um, we'll be looking at Genesis 3, but before we turn there, please pray with me. Father God, as we look into your word, we pray for your spirit to speak to us. Uh, we pray your spirit would speak to us what you want us to hear. Lord, we're open to you, and we, we know that you're here with us. We know that you're real. We know that you actually speak. We know that you do things in this world. We know that you do things, and you change things, and you make things new, and you heal things, and you heal us. Lord, do those things among us. Even now as we're meeting together, as we're listening to your word, do those things. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, Genesis chapter 3. Um, we're going to read this story from Genesis chapter 3. Um, it's a very surreal story. Um, I think many of you are familiar with it. Um, you know, even if you're not a church-going person, um, you're probably familiar with this just from, you know, being around and going, you know, taking English classes and whatever. Um, this story is uh, often called the story of the fall, the fall of mankind, and um, for good reason. Um, so it's a story about a man, a woman, and um, a serpent, um, but it's a very highly symbolic story. Um, it's symbolic poetry in some ways, and um, we, we want to know that it's not a story about just two random people and a very interesting serpent, but it's a story about us. This is a story about humanity, okay? So let's look at this together. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, and this uh, serpent, by the way, has traditionally been understood in Christian theology as representative of Satan um, or um, some kind of deceiver, okay? Um, a deceiver. So this is what the serpent says to the woman. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Verse 2, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you, sh you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good uh, for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, I like the English translation there. It rhymes. Did you hear that? Um, and the, yeah, anyway, I'll read that again if you missed it. The tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew, they realized that they were naked. 
and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. It's very symbolic, very surreal. Like, what's happening? I don't know what kind of soundtrack you'd put to this. Um, I don't know what kind of colors you'd use. I don't know what kind of camera you'd use or filter. But uh, in the garden, in the cool of the day, they heard. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking. I don't know what that sounds like, but somehow they heard that. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Okay, so before this, just quick background. So before this, we see this first, these, this first human community, this first married couple as well, these first people having a special home with God. They walk with God and talk with God. They loved each other as well. You know, the last, actually right before chapter 3, um, the end of chapter 2 is a poem that uh, the man says to the woman or about the woman. Uh, like, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You know, um, this embrace. And so this is what we have here, though, right after that. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And you think, oh, all right, he's home. You know, <laughs> like, hey, let's, let's hang out. But the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. From the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. And he, God, said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, again, the same man who just recited this, like, kind of the world's first, like, love poetry uh, just a moment ago. The man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. It sounds like us, right? Yeah. I mean, not just men. I mean, it sounds like human, human beings. Uh, men too, yes. Um, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Okay, we're just going to end right there. Um, following, following these verses, we'll see God pronounce a curse, and this is sort of the reason for the world that we live in. You know, this is basically a story about why does this world hurt so much? Um, this is the Bible's very early reason to this. It's kind of surreal story that explains it. Now, we live with this lie that I think is um, believed for the first time in Genesis 3. And this lie is that it would be good for me to belong only to myself. Like, I know sometimes we, we read the story, and especially if you're not someone who, like, wants to read things symbolically, much less theologically, you're like, what is this story about? It's so goofy. It's so weird. Uh, it's so arbitrary, like, the elements of this story. Like, why did God care about eating this particular fruit? You know, um, why is this such a big deal? Um, but I think when we, again, read it symbolically, read it theologically, when we read it about a, as a story about humanity, 
um, I think one thing that we can see is that the temptation that is presented to the first people is a temptation not to need God. Is a temptation to be God for yourself. Like, God doesn't want you to eat this fruit because God doesn't want you to be God. And you say, yeah, why, do, why would I need God? Like, why can't I be God for myself? Why do I need to belong to someone else? Why do I need to belong to God? Why do I be- need to belong to this other person? I can just belong to myself only, and that would be better. And what we've come to believe, I think, as humanity, generally speaking, is that, indeed, I belong to only myself. And with that, the only one responsible for me is me. The only one responsible for me is me. Okay? These are lies that are part of the human condition since Adam and Eve, but they're also lies that have a very familiar, I think, shape to us who live in, you know, what I'd call our, like, Western culture that is probably the most individualistic culture in human history. You know, we could say a lot, we could write many books, but this morning we're going to talk about just two, two big ways that this lie plays out in our lives. All right, first, we think if I belong to only myself, I, myself, am the only judge of myself, okay? No one judges me except me, okay? And we'll unpack that in a second. A second way that this plays out is we think if I belong to only myself, it is up to only me to make myself significant, to make myself worthy of attention, to make myself worthy of love, okay? I have to earn it. Okay, so first, if I belong to only myself, I am my only judge. Okay, I think this lie appeals to us because we know people, like other people, can be terrible judges of us. Like, I don't want anyone else to judge me, especially if those people don't share my morality or don't share my values. And we don't like that we have to answer to someone, Um, even God. Because we want to do what we want to do and not have someone else condemn us for it, okay? So it, it makes sense to us. I, I think, like, okay, you know, I'm my only judge. Like, oh, that, that's appealing. I like that, you know? Um, if that's true, and I think it is, like, that's something I like. I like that that's true. But we also find this hard to live with. This lie is very hard to live with because it turns out uh, often enough that we are not great judges for ourselves. Okay, that's a conundrum. Yeah, amen. Um, like, how many of us, okay, just, yeah, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us are like, okay, before, I, okay, let me just say this real quick. Okay, let me explain. On one hand, we can be really, like, self-justifying, right? Like, it's not my fault. Like, it's their fault. I don't do anything wrong. It was my right, you know, all that kind of stuff. On the other hand, we can be extremely harsh judges to ourselves, Okay, so let me ask, like, how many of us, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, you can give, like, a little, you know, tepid amen if you want, whatever, but how many of us are, like, do you find yourself, like, constantly, like, cursing yourselves out? Okay, amen, all right, that's a strong amen, all right? I mean, how many of us, at times, like ourselves way too much, but at other times, dislike ourselves way too much? You know, I think that's a lot of us. You know, we have these ideal selves that we've come up with. And sometimes it's, you know, those are the selves that we project on our social media. 
but we don't live up to our ideal selves. And therefore, we feel like shame. It's just between like me and me. Like, I don't feel shame in front of, it's just in front of my own self, I feel shame. I condemn myself when no one's around. We even, some of us even punish ourselves when no one is around. And a surprisingly great solution to this dilemma is letting ourselves be judged by someone other than ourselves. But again, the problem for us is that there's no one, maybe, maybe there's no one we feel is trustworthy enough to have that position. No one that we feel good about giving that kind of authority to. But then here comes Jesus into the world. And Christ's invitation to us is to let him be our judge. And it's like, okay, well, Jesus, let me, let me learn more about you. What kind of judge are you then? If this is what you're inviting me to do, I want to know about you. What kind of judge are you? And Christ says and shows us that he is a fair and righteous judge. He, in fact, shows us that he is a merciful judge. And beyond some more like sort of normal or sort of, sort of uh, sorry, expected kind of mercy, he is a judge who actually dies for the condemned, for the unrighteous. Okay, that's Romans chapter 5. You know, I'm just going to quick, quick turn to it. I told you guys last week that I had this big print Bible. But then the one thing with a big print Bible is you have to make the, the pages really thin. Otherwise, it's ginormous, right? And so it's hard to, like, flip through. Anyway, it's like being at the grocery store all the time, like... Anyway, all right, Romans 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, and that was the right time, not at our best, not when we were somehow, like, matching up to our ideal selves or living up to that, but when we were still sinners, at our worst, Christ died for us. This is the person who invites us to let him judge us. And this, this good news of Jesus is in some ways, like, it's so trippy because it actually makes us aware of like how much more broken and bad that we thought we were. Okay, it actually makes us more aware. It makes us aware of like, wow, I, I am worse than I possibly thought. But it also lets us know that we are much more forgiven and restored with honor than we possibly thought we could be. This is the good news of Jesus. You don't have to belong to only yourself. Let Jesus be the judge. You don't have to be your only judge. It's hard. It's exhausting. It's, it doesn't work for most of us, if not all of us. Let Jesus be the judge, okay? He's a good judge. Let him be the judge. Number two, when we believe this lie that we belong only to ourselves, we have a responsibility, and only we have that responsibility to earn 
significance, to earn attention and love. And the things that we do to do that, to feel significance and to gain attention and love, they are, we find, exhausting. And they're often deeply discouraging and sometimes even dehumanizing. We even find ourselves in competition with each other for love and attention. You know, we have some typically ways, uh, sorry, some typical ways in our world to feel significant. You know, like we think, okay, if I had a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a spouse or a lover, I would be significant. If I earned more money, if I achieved more professionally, if I had a more prestigious position, if I got more likes, if I got better grades, if I had more or better friends, if my kids achieved more, then I would feel significant. Then I would know I'm worthy of love and attention. You know, and one of the big problems that we have in our culture is burnout, and I think it's really related to this, because we're, we're constantly working. Sorry, we're constantly working. You know, I, I'm partly, yeah, it's to make a living and, you know, to have health care, um, to save our home or just pay our rent or whatever. Um, but it's partly also because we have this pressure to constantly be improving ourselves. You know, like, just enjoyment of life, enjoying things, it just seems so gratuitous, like so immature, you know, so not grown up. Because it's about productivity, it's about efficiency, it's about improvement. You know, and if, if our activity is not really productive somehow, we often feel guilty about it. Like, I really should be more productive. Because it's up to me to make myself significant. It's up to me to earn attention and love, and it's tiring. It's tiring, but it's, for us, I think in our culture, it's just how things are. You know, this is just, this is how we live, all right? Like, one day, you feel great because you were cute enough to be noticed. Another day, you feel bad because you weren't. You do well at work, and you get promoted. But then other times, you feel like you've been at it for a while, and you're mostly discouraged that you're in the same place. You can be successful at one part of what makes you significant and worthy of love, and then be unsuccessful at another part at the same time. You know, like you can be great at work and bad at home, or vice versa. I mean, let's just ask ourselves again. Do you feel like constantly bad about your self-worth or about your level of achievement? Do you often feel or worry that your life is a failure in general? I mean, it, if I can be like super honest here with you all, my community, like one prayer, so like I pray, you know, da-da-da, I pray on my own, and um, one prayer that I pray like not infrequently actually, you know, is basically this saying sorry to God. But it's not like confessing sin. It's not like there's this Bible verse and I can point to, I know this is sin, I know this is wrong in my life, it's like selfish or whatever it is, and I confess it, I'm sorry about this. It's not that. It's just the prayer basically is something like, I'm sorry for the ways I'm a failure to you. Like, it's not, again, it's not some specific sin that I'm confessing. It's, just, it's almost like more like what I would say to my dad if I felt comfortable saying, if we had that kind of relationship, you know, if I felt comfortable saying that to him. You know, basically something like, and I don't know how he, I don't know if he feels this way, but this is just I'm me projecting. But like, 
I feel like sorry to you because, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm sorry for being a disappointment. You know, I don't know. Maybe this is sort of like a Christianized version of like a midlife crisis for me. I don't know. Um, but I, I don't think I'm by myself in this kind of feeling. You know, I think we could probably tell a lot of stories of exhaustion, you know, some of them tragic, uh, some of them like small. You know, let me just tell you a real small story. When my daughter was um, in sixth grade, she was 11 years old, 11 years, 11. She was so stressed out um, about this one school project. And actually, I think I told this story like a little while ago, like six months ago, but it involved like making a video. Okay, um, and so she was really stressed out because their video wasn't working, you know, this, this or that. And um, it was like this big project. And um, she was like, you know, she was stressed out. And she was like, I mean, she was weeping, you know, like for a long time, you know. And I'm just, you know, trying to calm her down. She's going like, what if I can't do this? Like, what if the video doesn't work? And I'll fail this. And it will be on my, like, permanent record. And it's going to affect, like, high school. And it's going to affect college, you know. What if, Dad, what if that happens? You know, and, um, and I was just, you know, trying to break her funk. And I, I said, like, what if that happens, Dad? And I said, like, well, then no one's going to love you, you know. Um, but then, um, but, you know, she immediately cracked up, okay, because she, she, like, felt how, like, absurd it was, you know. And, like, you know, I look, and, you know, it kind of, broke her funk. And I look back at that very fondly because I'm glad she knew enough about Christ's love and how she didn't have to earn or do enough to deserve love, that she was able to find that notion preposterous and funny. And I guess sometimes I wish I knew that as well as she does, or at least as well as she did in that moment. I don't know, maybe you do too. If so, Consider receiving this invitation from Christ. Christ says, attach yourself to me. By attaching yourself to me, you'll know that you are significant. Okay. It's not about like, oh, be a better Christian. That be your new identity. And, you know, in that way, like earn it, you know, but just in a different way. That's not it. It's just... Simply know that you are significant. Know that you are loved. Know that you receive attention. Christ says, look, you cannot earn these things. I know you want to earn these things. I know you want to be a judge for yourself. I know you want to be responsible and only you to be responsible for yourself. But you can't do it. And in the end, you can't do it because you are not created to do that. That's not how you're supposed to work. And it's going to be exhausting, and it's going to be frustrating, and it's ultimately going to be a failure for you to try that. Because that's not what you were meant to do. That's not a burden you were meant to carry. Um, there's this, I'm just going to say first, actually, let me just read another verse. This is 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Okay. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. This is Paul speaking to the church. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And then he says this, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. 
you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. You do not belong. This is what Christ says to us. You do not belong to yourself only. And that's a good thing. You belong to me. And it's not your sole responsibility. It's not just you who has to try to earn significance for yourself and love and attention. That was never something you were meant to earn. You belong to Christ. And Christ gives that to you. Okay? Um, there's a thing called the Heidelberg Catechism. It goes back to the days of the Reformation. And it's uh, basically this question and answer uh, formatted sort of educational kind of series. And it's uh, basically a question about life or a question about scripture, a qu question about faith with an answer. And the way that they did sort of Christian education back in the day and people still do today is uh, you sort of memorize the answers to these questions. And it's, a, it's meant to be a very edifying sort of process. But the first question of this Heidelberg Catechism is what is your only comfort in life and death? What is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer that all these people who went through it are, have memorized is, my only comfort is that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's a really good question to answer, right? That's who we are. The catechism, 1 Corinthians 6, that we just read, and the good news of Jesus to us is that because we belong to Christ, who died for us, through whom we were created, we can rest. We can rest in the significance and attention and love he provides for us. And just in case you're thinking, well, hmm, what if this doesn't work? Basically, Carl, what happens if we think this? Maybe, maybe we won't be motivated to work hard or try hard. Uh, it, whatever, at work or in our relationships because, like, oh, it's already done. Like, I don't have to do anything. Well, let me just say this. Just imagine with me. What if our hard work, whether at, you know, at, at, at like, our jobs or in, at home or school or whatever, what if our hard work was motivated not by insecurity but by security? What if we worked hard not to make ourselves significant or lovable, but because we knew we are significant and loved? Because, what if we worked hard because we knew that our work matters? What if we know that it matters because it helps us pay the rent, but and it actually helps other people, and it's a chance for us to explore and live out things that God has made us good at? Would that be a more unproductive world? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. Let me just close with this. Even when we receive Christ and know we have significance and attention, we still live in this world. We don't stop being judged by others, by our resumes. Okay, that's just in the air we breathe. We're judged by our resumes. We're judged by our looks. We're judged by our social media likes. We're judged by our dating apps, wipes, everything. We, we keep hearing stories every day, all week. We keep hearing stories and voices that basically tell us we haven't done enough 
or that you're insignificant. That's why the church is so important. That's why being part of this service Sunday after Sunday is important. Because as we live in the midst of that sea of voices, we need this community, we need this service that sings and says every week that we don't belong to ourselves only. That says we belong to Jesus. We need this voice. We need to sing. We need to say. We need to hear that we don't have to earn significance or attention or love. We receive it from the one who created us, and more than that, who died for us and made us one with himself. In a moment, we're going to take communion and sing a couple songs together. And during communion and that singing, um, I just want to say, if you think it would be helpful to you to receive prayer from one of our leaders here, they're just going to be standing in the back ready to pray with you. So if there's a particular kind of exhaustion or a particular disappointment you're living with. And you just, you know, it's just very simple. You just want someone else to pray for you. It's not, it doesn't have to be some big whoop. Um, but if you just would think it'd be helpful to have someone just pray with you, um, or maybe just to say with you that you belong to God, uh, I just encourage you as we come up, take communion, just take the long way back to your seat, just stop there, have someone pray for you. Um, and as we sing, um, they'll be praying for you. Um, but let's pray together just really briefly right now. God, we thank you for your good news. And I don't know, there's this, um, there's this lie that we've been talking about that we live with, you know, that is all around us, that everyone around us lives with too, that we belong to ourselves only. Uh, at the same time, we know that that's hard, you know, and it's exhausting and it's wounding. And... Um, like, even those of us who, like, kind of successfully navigate it, like, who actually do well uh, in this way, I mean, it's, even for sort of the best of us that way, it's, it's hard. And we feel like failures um, just as much, if not more, than we feel like successes. And we pray that you'd bring healing to us. You'd bring relief to us. Lord, we want to say... Uh, together, that we belong to you. We want to say together that you are responsible for our significance and our love and the attention that we need. Thank you, Lord. You are a better judge than we can be to ourselves. We want to say to you together our comfort in all circumstances and in life and in death is that we belong completely to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Um, as we come to the communion table, let me encourage you um, to see at the table your worth. You know, I guess if we wanted to visualize how much you're worth, you know, um, I don't know, I guess some people would put a stack of money on there. Um, there'd be like a little big price tag that we can all read like on a game show or something. Like $1 million or, you know, whatever you're worth to banks or insurance companies, you know. Um, 
but before the Lord, this communion table represents how much we're worth. Like, how much are you worth? You're worth the body and blood of Jesus. Because on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this cup is the cup of my blood shed for you. Whenever you eat it, whenever you drink it, you remember my death until I come again. And this is what we're doing. So I invite you, come on up, go on back to the tables with the elements on it. And know that this is how much you're worth. This is not, not like a, you know, 20 cent little element holder snack thing. But you're worth the body and blood of Christ. Uh, come on up, friends. And let's sing together as well.
Lord, thank you for your presence here and thank you for the things that you say to us that heal us, that strengthen us, that give us rest. Lord, we love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Beloved, as we go from here in the power of the Holy Spirit, as we go from here in the belonging that we have to Jesus, as we go from here in the love of God our Father, know how much you're worth. Know how much significance you have. Know how much love you get, you receive. Know how much attention you receive. Not because you earn it. This is what you are. Yeah, let's live like that. And let's help other people to know how much worth they have too. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. 